0: Asymmetrical Haircuts Justice Update with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Bergh. All right. Hi,
1: Steph. Hey, Janet. So, um, what do you think? Is the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court now. Again, a little bit worried um, because there's yet another big issue which is potentially landing on her. I was thinking that because this week the court was in the news, particularly in the international press, because there's a serious call for the court to look into some crimes against the Chinese Uyghur community, you know, the Muslim minority in the country. And if the International Criminal Court got involved, that would also mean China being involved, which is not a court member, but is a permanent member of the UN Security Council.
2: Yeah, this seems like just the thing that the court doesn't need. You already have the U.S. threatening uh, sanctions. You know, we talked to Beth van Schaak uh, in an earlier justice update. You have the Russians annoyed over Georgia. You have the Brits closing rank with the Iraq war crimes investigation that we talked about earlier with Carla Fershman, And now you have this move or this um, communications, as it is officially called, to investigate crimes against humanity and possibly genocide, of Uyghur minority in China.
1: Yeah, this was done um, also in the way that we're getting very used to as uh, as journalists. It's the uh, the press conference with uh, lawyers flanked by a range of where they explain this kind of dual thing. They talk about both the legal strategy and some of the detail of the case that uh, that they get into. But In this case, it was um, certainly somebody I've come across before, uh, Rodney Dixon of uh, Temple Garden Chambers, who was explaining the legal side.
0: Uh, it has been assumed for too long that Chinese officials are completely beyond the reach of the law for, for what is happening in East Turkestan. China is not a signed up member of the ICC, uh, and that is what has fueled this misbelief. The fact is that it's no longer the case that China cannot be investigated for what is happening there. We are now in a position, fortunately, where there is a very clear legal pathway to allow for the icc to commence its investigations this is not a novel concept uh, and i must emphasize that it is not a way around or circumvention of the law it is very much the law
1: so stephanie he mentions the East Turkestan, which is not a place that I had ever heard of before
2: this week. So um, where's this? Well, basically, East Turkestan is the Uyghur homeland or what they call uh, what they call what they want to be an independent nation. But it is part of the Chinese province of Xinjiang. And the only reason I know that it's called East Turkestan is that I saw an Arjen Lubach, the kind of Dutch variety of the Daily Show, did a story about Uyghurs where they mentioned this. And it sounds such a like a made up name of East Turkestan, like something that you know the Borat would be in the Borat movie that it that it stuck with me. But um this is uh, the kind of a traditional Uyghur homeland that they would want, and so the countries are that are involved is not actually East Turkestan because it's not a, an actual country and it's not an ICC member, but there are um, ICC members uh, uh, adjoining uh, on have a border with what would be East Turkestan, and that is Tajikistan and uh, Cambodia. They are ICC members, and the idea is to kind of get to the ICC for the Uyghurs through those ICC members.
1: I can imagine Tajikistan being bordering. I couldn't imagine that Cambodia... I think so. Now I'm kind of wondering, like, I really should have looked at the map more closely. Okay, well, maybe we'll do that together another time, because that also confused me. But the other thing that uh, that I also needed to get my head around was the actual legal side of this. How... Is it that under the Rome Statute, as Rodney Dixon said, is now possible that you can actually have a crime committed essentially somewhere somewhere else in one of the Assembly of States parties, the members of the ICC states, and then actually also continued in China? How does that work?
2: Well, you remember in episode seven of the podcast, we had Kevin John Heller explaining what we called uh, justice via the back door with this kind of way that Um, the Rohingya atrocities could be looked at through Bangladesh because Rohingya victims were deported to Bangladesh. And then the court decided that for deportation, you needed a cross-border element. And that meant that part of the crime was committed in an ICC member state because Myanmar, where the um, Rohingya live, is not an ICC state. But when they're deported... The crime is ongoing until they move over this national uh, border, and then so part of the crime happens in an ICC member state. We pulled up a clip from that earlier show where Kevin John Heller explains exactly how they base this jurisdiction of the court.
1: Well, the jurisdictional basis is, a, you know, is territorial jurisdiction. Uh, what the court says is that. Uh, part of the crime, if not an element of the crime of forcible deportation, uh, took place on the territory of a state party, Bangladesh. And they acknowledge that most of the acts, and particularly the acts that forcibly displaced the Rohingya, um, took place on Myanmar territory, and Myanmar is not a state party, but that the deportation necessarily involved crossing a state line into Bangladesh, and that because some of the acts took place on Bangladesh, there's traditional territorial jurisdiction. So the heading of jurisdiction is classic territorial. The basis of finding territorial jurisdiction, again, although I don't disagree with it, is a little bit more you know, uh, exotic or esoteric.
2: So that was Kevin explaining a bit on the basis for that. He talks a lot more in a longer in the longer episode, which will also feature as a throwback episode on our website front page. And we talked, besides uh, the case of Myanmar, we talked, also talked about possibilities of trying a Syria case via Jordan and this way of trying to get cases to the ICC at non-ICC members through adjoining countries, which are ICC members.
1: Oh. Back to the uh, Uyghur idea. At the press conference, as I say often, you have these kind of two pronged approach, not just the legal stuff, but also hearing from some victims. And then they had some people there. There was one woman called Zamarat Dawood. I'm not sure if I have the name completely correctly. And she was describing a whole series of alleged crimes against her being detained, being tortured, being fined for having more than one child, forcible sterilisation, uh, tracking apps being put onto her phone that she had to use, uh, minders being put into her family that who, who had to stay there, various forms of loyalty tests. Here's a little bit of her testimony And it was actually being read by one of the lawyers in the case rather than the woman herself. And here she's talking about her Uyghur identity.
0: As I stated numerous times before, I genuinely believe that the Chinese government is trying to eradicate us. Tens of thousands of our people have tried to flee the country as a direct result of their persecution. I am just one of the very few lucky ones to have managed to leave the country and be alive to share the reality of the situation with the world. There are still millions of Oghurs, Ratmi, who continue to be locked up in concentration camps. The others have to live with the constant fear of being sent to one, whether they are inside East Turkestan or living abroad. So many who are outside the country have already been captured and forced back against their will. A lot of what we
2: hear in these descriptions and what we also see in the media reports about what China is doing with the Uyghurs to definitely fall under crimes against humanity, potentially, and possibly also act as underlying acts for genocide. Things like forced sterilization, for example, is something that is specifically mentioned in the, in the Genocide Convention. But what I wonder, and I haven't seen uh, the legal briefs for this, uh, what I know I got from the press reports, is that the argument in this case doesn't seem to hinge on deportation as it did in the Myanmar case, or as Kevin uh, Heller explained, and what also was central in the Syria-Jordan case. Rodney Dixon seems to be making the claim that Uyghurs were kidnapped from ICC member states like Tajikistan and Cambodia and then brought to China where these alleged crimes against humanity happened. And I'm not sure that will work as a jurisdictional basis, because I don't see the kind of pattern that we see in these other cases where people are deported or forcibly transferred and then cannot go back to their own country and therefore the crime is being perpetuated on the territory of an ICC member state. I kind of, I don't know if they can make a link that, Kidnapping somebody to do forced sterilization, if that has like that transnational ingredient so that it could straddle both countries.
1: Well, I'm sure that uh, the legal team do actually believe that they do have that uh, jurisdictional basis. But it's something that always strikes me as an observer from outside on these things is how very particular, how very precise it is to actually get jurisdiction yeah, you know, just to use a phrase, the devil is really in the detail here. So I, you know, I wait to see, you know, what the ICC would actually decide in the end. And the other thing is that, as we mentioned right at the beginning, China is a member of the UN Security Council and uh, the ICC already has a lot on its plate. It's in a very big year of uh, major reforms, plus it's got this uh, looming sort of hanging potential sanctions from uh, the United States over it. So I can't see there would be much appetite to take this on. What do you think, Stephanie? Well, I was thinking about that, and I also think the
2: political aspects of it are not ideal, and why would you want that? On the other hand, it could be also an avenue like they did in Myanmar, where people are saying, and, and there's lots of attention for the the plight of the Uyghurs, it's some one of the big uh, human rights issues of our time, and then the court is not doing something, so they could also maybe want to jump into this to show that they're doing something. It's, it's one of those things we really have to watch because, as I said, we don't know the legal filings. It seems to be have to be quite a puzzle to establish jurisdiction, but we never know. And they've surprised us before. So this is definitely something that, that we're going to watch, I think.
1: Well, roll on to the uh, Assembly of States parties meetings when they uh, discuss the kind of things that they have taken on board or not as uh, potential areas to look into under preliminary examinations. And uh, roll on for uh, our next podcast, whenever that's going to be. Thank you.
2: Bye. Asymmetrical Haircuts is presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. This episode has obviously been recorded at home, but we'd still like to give a shout out to our regular host, Humanity Hub, and we hope to return there soon. Music was by audionautics.com. We're available on all major podcast apps. Give us a rating and spread the word.